In the early 1970s, researchers at the University of Leeds implemented a computerized diagnostic system known as AAP Help. Although much has changed technologically in the years since, the challenges faced by that system's pioneers can inform present-day efforts to implement machine learning prediction models in medicine. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Andrew Lee, a resident physician in internal medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital and a clinical fellow at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Lee has co-authored a perspective article about lessons from AAP help for the use of machine learning algorithms in clinical practice. Dr. Lee, what was the purpose of AAP help and how did it work? So this was a system that was developed in the early 1970s at the University of Leeds by a gentleman called Tim de Dumball. He was a surgeon by training. And so the decision to create a diagnostic system in the realm of acute abdomen was in some ways just circumstantial, a reflection of the fact that this is a surgical problem. But the decision was actually more deliberate than that. Acute abdomen was something that was a significant clinical problem that clinicians and surgeons and people working in the emergency department dealt with on a nearly daily basis. It was something that they saw at the general infirmary at Leeds 300 times a year. And so it was a huge clinical problem, but it was also a problem that was amenable, they felt, to a computerized diagnostic system for other reasons. One of these was that the differential diagnosis for acute abdomen is more narrow than the differential diagnosis for many other symptom complexes. Another reason was that acute abdomen was a clinical diagnosis. And so it was a diagnosis that a clinician could make on the basis of an interview with the patient and a physical examination rather than waiting for various biochemical tests to come back. And then finally, it was a problem that you could actually get immediate and definitive feedback on in the context of doing a surgery. And so for these reasons, Jay Dumball and his colleagues felt that it was a worthwhile project to pursue. The system worked by basically AAP help. It was a program that ran on a massive mainframe computer called the KDF-9, which was a computer that was manufactured by English Electric. And the University of Leeds had one of these computers, which was located about 300 meters away from the surgical ward. And it was located in a disused church called Eldon Chapel. And so clinicians at the hospital could use the system by going up to a teletype station that was located in the surgery department. And then they could access the KDF-9 system through the teletype interface. And so that's the big picture of how the system worked. And then first, how did the program perform when it was applied in Leeds? And what was the reaction to people using it? Yes. Yeah, so it was a huge success when it was applied in Leeds. And so when they compared the performance of AAP Help to the performance of even the most senior clinicians at the hospital, AAP Help very much outperformed them. Its diagnostic accuracy surpassed 90%. And so it was quite a success in that local context. And then second, you write in your article that the problems began when the research team introduced the program to hospitals outside Leeds. So what happened in that new clinical environment? Yes. So the success at Leeds inspired de Dumball and many other colleagues and collaborators to implement the system elsewhere outside of the general infirmary. And one of those locations was the Bispebjerg Hospital in Copenhagen in Denmark. 
But once they actually implemented AAP help at this hospital in Copenhagen, its performance plummeted from upwards of 90% to 60 to 65%. And so the researchers were sort of left scrambling, figuring out what went wrong and what produced this pretty significant discrepancy in the system's performance in one location to another. And what they found was basically a early version of the problem of what we call today the problem of data set shift. De Dumball, after this happened, said in an interview later that the experience led him to the conclusion that databases don't travel. And the ways in which the Leeds data set were different from the Copenhagen population existed on a number of different levels. One of these levels was that you had differing clinical presentations of disease in different demographics as well. And so, for example, the clinical spectrum of pancreatitis between the two locations differed. And the researchers speculated that this may be due to the difference in alcohol consumption rates in one location as opposed to the other. But there were other differences as well. And so some of those other differences included differences in how people move through the hospitals and how people were referred to the hospital in Leeds versus the hospital in Copenhagen, which meant that in one location, patients with a kidney stone or inflammation of their fallopian tombs might be excluded from the data, whereas those patients would be included in the other location. And so all of these things meant that the conditional probabilities that underlay the functioning of AAP help may not apply in the Copenhagen context. So then how is this issue of data set shift relevant to the use of machine learning algorithms in medicine today? So data set shift, this basically refers to the phenomenon that happens when there's a discrepancy between the data on which a machine learning model was developed versus the data on which it's ultimately deployed. And it's one of the key drivers of model underperformance in decay as these models are deployed in one context to another. And so this data set shift, sort of as the Leeds case demonstrates, can happen due to a number of different changes. And some of these changes can be pretty obvious, such as changes in demographics. So if you have one data set where you have a huge disproportionate overrepresentation of male patients or elderly patients, a system developed with respect to those data may not perform well with respect to data that includes a disproportionate number of female patients or younger patients. And so you can have these demographic changes that can produce data set shift as well. But other phenomenon are also contributing to data set shift, and these can be more subtle. So for example, you can have changes in how we define disease categories over time. There was a time not that long ago when we categorized stage one hypertension to be systolic blood pressure above 140. Now we categorize systolic blood pressure of 130 as stage one hypertension. And so you have these shifting definitions of disease and thresholds of disease that can produce data set shift, as well as shifts in how we treat people and the standards of care and therapeutic fads. And then lastly, you can have changes in the information infrastructure in one location versus another. So differences in how people collect and record data, which relate to the medical information system, the electronic medical record at one location versus another, and whether that electronic medical record has recently been updated or revised. 
And things like this can also produce surprisingly consequential forms of data set shift. So how much can we learn from historical examples like AAP Help about how to anticipate and mitigate the kinds of problems related to data set shift that you're talking about? History is very much about the study of change over place and change over time. And change over place and time are exactly the things that cause data set shift. And historians are good at studying changing definitions of disease over time, changing therapeutic traditions over time, changing demographics over time, changing distributions of disease over time, and understanding how these sometimes subtle changes are at play in one location as opposed to another are really important to understanding and anticipating when one may encounter data set shift. And that's very much the work of what historians do. Thank you, Dr. Lee.